Well, thank you for being back here tonight, this evening, uh, uh, to, to, to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I wish you had a more eloquent speaker. I wish you had a, someone who, uh, who, could, who could more appropriately preach God's great Word. Uh, we serve a great and mighty God. Uh, there is no one like our God. And what a privilege it is to be called His child. What a privilege it is to uh, serve in His church and work in the local church. Uh, don't ever take that for granted. You parents, you, you, you uh, moms and dads that have children, don't ever take your church for granted. Um, it's the most important thing your children will ever be exposed to, is the, the house of the Lord and the, and the word of God. Nothing is more important for their future, for their development, for their lives uh, than that. So you, you love your church. Do everything you can to, to honor your church, be loyal to your church and serve uh, God through your local church. And uh, I know that that's pleasing unto him. Uh, Jesus loves the church. It's his bride. And uh, he, he loves his bride. And, and one day he'll come to claim his bride. And uh, I certainly want to be found uh, serving in the local church when the Lord appears. Well, tonight we're going to talk about the faithfulness of God. I've entitled tonight's message, Great is Thy faithfulness. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you would, please, as we read from Psalm 89. And we'll read verses 1 through 8. You read along silently as I read out loud. Psalm 89 will begin at verse number (coughs) 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. (coughs) Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful tonight. We're thankful that we live in this great nation, a place where your word can be preached in freedom, without fear of of imprisonment, without fear of persecution. We just thank you and praise you for your grace that you've shown to this great nation. And then, Lord, tonight we're thankful. We're thankful for the establishment of the local church, the place where we come together to worship you, to bring our tithes and offerings, to praise you, to serve you. We thank you, Lord, for this body of believers that has assembled together in this place. May we love one another. May we Show compassion to each other. May we be kind to one another, forgiving, tender-hearted, as you called us to do. We thank you tonight, Lord, for your word and the truth of your word. We thank you for its authority and we thank you for its finality. And we ask tonight that you would help us to love your word and to appreciate it as we should. And then, Lord, tonight we're thankful. We're just thankful for your grace. We ask that you would bless our time together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our lives. And we pray tonight that you would speak to our hearts. 
that you would be the teacher of the word, and that we would all hear the truth from God tonight. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. This is one of my most favorite hymns. It is also one of the greatest truths in Scripture. Several years ago, I taught a series of lessons in the auditorium Bible class here on God the Father. It was a 13-week study. We covered everything from the proof of God's existence down to his character and all of his attributes. About midway through that study, we spoke about the faithfulness of God and how his faithfulness is one of his immutable attributes. For you see, God cannot change. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, we read, For I am the Lord, I change not. In our text this evening, David vows to proclaim faithfulness to all generations. Yet, David died. And if this is true then he has failed in his vow unto God because he was not able to proclaim God's faithfulness to all generations unless some others will take up his vow and continue in his work after him. And this is what we are doing here tonight. We have taken up this vow tonight and do continue it Actually, we have a song that we sing from Psalm 89, verse 1. Maybe you guys uh, know that song. I don't know. It's, I will sing of the mercies. How many of you know that, that chorus? Let's sing it together. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. With my mouth will I make known Thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Very good. You make a great choir. (laughs) Rehearsals are at 925 next Sunday morning. Make sure you're here. Now, I'm not going to preach tonight 
on things that we don't already know. There is no new revelation today, by the way. Uh, The canon of scriptures is closed. God has revealed all truth to us. We have the Holy Spirit to teach us that truth. So tonight, I'm not going to stand up here and, and, uh, and enlighten you with some truth that we don't already know. I'm just going to remind us of some important things tonight. That's what we're called to do. We're called to bring, you, bring to remembrance those things uh, that the Lord has, has taught us. And that's what we want to do. Things that will strengthen us, things that will encourage us on our journey toward heaven. So tonight I want to talk about the faithfulness of God. And I want to share three thoughts with you concerning God's faithfulness. Three things that God is faithful to you and I. And the first one is this. God is faithful in his compassion. God is faithful in his compassion. In the hymn I I read earlier, Great is Thy Faithfulness, the first verse of that goes, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. If you look back in Psalm 89, again at the first two verses, we read, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. It is God's compassion that keeps you and I from being consumed by his wrath tonight. In Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, we read, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Were it not for the compassion of the Lord, you and I in our sinfulness would be consumed by the wrath of God. God promised Abraham and all his seed after him that he would not utterly destroy them as he did And will do to other nations. In Jeremiah chapter 30, we read from verses 10 and 11. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet. And none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. This is why God did not utterly destroy the children of Israel at the Mount of Transgression. Turn with me, if you would, keep a marker here in Psalm 89. And let's turn to Exodus chapter 32 together. Exodus, the second book in the Bible, quickly and easy to find, Exodus chapter 32. And we're going to read beginning at verse number 7. The children of Israel at the, at the Mount of Transgression, where the Lord gave the commandments to Moses, did, did evil in the sight of God. Yet God did not consume them because of his compassions. Here we see in Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse 7, we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, 
for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now, it's kind of cute, the play on words here that the Lord uses. Uh, the Lord is angry with his children. And, and you notice what he said? He told Moses, for thy people. They weren't Moses' people. They were God's people. He said, which thou brought out of the land of Egypt. Moses didn't bring them out of the land of Egypt. God did. You ever notice how when you get angry at your children, how uh, moms, you'll say, your son. Or dad, you'll go to your wife and say, your child. Sometimes we, de- we want plausible deniability, don't we? But here we read on. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation." And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Notice now Moses is turning it right back around here. Okay. Moses said, ah, no, Lord, these aren't my people. These are your people. Uh, Which thou has brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore, shouldest the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them. From the face of the earth, turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And we see here that God's compassion was turned back to his people. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is why we too are not consumed tonight. It is because of the compassion, the mercy of our great God and Savior. So unworthy are we tonight of the mercies of God, yet so blessed are we to be the recipient of them. Let us never forget that. Tonight, Never take for granted the compassion of God. Never forget his great mercy that he sheds upon us. Let me give you a couple of thoughts concerning God's compassion, concerning his mercies. First, God's mercies are plenteous. God's mercies are plenteous. Psalm 86 and verse 15 we read, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. God will never run out of anything, least of all compassion for his children. I'm so thankful for that. You know, Jesus in scripture tells us, he he responded to Satan and said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But you know, I fear that so many of our Christians in America tonight are tempting God. They're tempting the wrath of God. They're, they're, They're testing the patience of God. They're flaunting worldliness and, and, and they're, they're flaunting disobedience in the face of the Lord God. And we better be careful. We better be careful because we noticed 
that God was prepared to destroy all his people. But thank God for Moses. And Moses reminded God that he is a compassionate God. God will never run out of compassion. He has all the mercy, all the patience, and all the compassion you and I will ever need tonight. But not only is God, are God's mercies plenteous, but secondly, God, God's mercies are perpetual. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 34, we read, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Can I remind you tonight that God always has been and always will be merciful to his children? He was merciful to Adam in the garden when he forgave his sin. He was merciful to Noah and preserved his life while he destroyed all other things. He was merciful to Abraham and made of Abraham a great nation. He was merciful to Isaac. He was merciful to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to Joshua, to the judges, to David, to Solomon, to Josiah, to Elijah, to Elisha, to Nehemiah, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, to Daniel, to Shadrach, to Meshach, to Abednego, to Hosea, to Michael, to Malachi, to Peter, to Andrew, to James, to John, to Philip, to Bartholomew, to Thomas, to Matthew, to James, to Thaddeus, to Simon, and to Paul. And further, he has been and always will be merciful to me and to you. And we are comforted tonight by his unfailing compassion for us. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful in his compassion to us. But then secondly tonight, I'd like for us to notice that God is faithful in his covenants. The second verse of this great hymn We read summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Let's look back at Psalm 89 again. Look at verse number 3, if you would. Psalm 89, verse 3. We read, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations, Selah. Time tonight would not allow me to list all the promises that God has given unto us. Nor would time allow me to cite the many examples in the scriptures of God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. We all know of God's great faithfulness. For he has been faithful to each of us individually. In Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 25 we read, For I am the Lord, I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. It shall be no more prolonged. For in your days, O rebellious house, will I say the word and will perform it, saith the Lord God. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, we read, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? 
Oh, yes, there is no question but that God is faithful to keep his promises. But what about you and I? Are we faithful to keep our promises to God? I cannot recount the times that I have heard men make promises to God when in times of despair or distress. Uttering statements such as, God, if you will just help me out of this trouble, I will, and you can fill in the blanks. I'll be in church every Sunday, Lord. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll pray every day. I'll be faithful to you, God, if you'll just help me. You better watch out what you promise God. You better be careful what you say. Turn with me in your Bibles. Keep your marker in Psalms. And let's go just a couple of books past uh, Psalms. And let's go to Ecclesiastes together. Ecclesiastes and... Let's look at chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we'll read verses 1 through 6 together. Beginning at verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Basically what Solomon is saying here is shut your mouth and open your ears. (laughs) That's pretty much what he's saying. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. And that's a good thing for us to remember, too. The more we say, the deeper we get into trouble. Amen? For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So we better be careful. You and I had better be careful what we say to the Lord. We better be careful what we promise. And if we promise anything... We better make sure that we, that we meet that promise. So knowing this, how should we live our lives? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts. And I think these will be helpful if we receive them in the spirit that they're given. First of all, we should live in acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. We should live in acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. You know, we live in a society today that says, you can't tell me what to do. Especially in America. Oh, you can't tell me what to do. Oh, you can't tell me uh, how, how I have to do my job. Oh, you can't tell me how I have to raise my children. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 12, we read, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said... <coughs> Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. 
Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Oh, there is but one God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6 we read, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom, all, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Tonight we should live our lives in acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. We should know and understand that the Lord's will shall be done, and we should be his servants, and we should be the tools by which God's work is done. Tonight, if God has given you children, he's given you those children to instruct, to train and prepare them to live their life for God and to honor and glorify him in all things. God hasn't given you children so you can produce little doctors and little lawyers and little money machines. By the way, those children are God's first. And you, mom and dad, have a responsibility to put God first in their life and to put God above all things in their life. And if your children grow up in such a way that they do not honor God, do not blame anyone but yourself. Because that is your job, dads. It's Father's Day next Sunday. So let's step up to the plate and let's take our responsibility. It's your job, dad, to train up your child in the way he should go. Let's live our lives in acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. And let's live our lives with the knowledge that God is supreme. All things are his. My children, my house, my car, my job, all of them are God's, not mine. He's only loaned them to me. I'm only here for a while. When I go to heaven, I can't bring anything with me. Naked came I into the world, Paul said. Naked shall I leave. Someone once told me, we came into this world screaming and yelling and we're going out the same way. Let's learn to acknowledge God's sovereignty. But also, how should we live our life? Secondly, in agreement with God's spirit. In agreement with God's spirit. Now, I know that in Baptist churches, the Holy Spirit is not a good thing to talk about. See, Baptists have become ashamed of the Holy Spirit because charismatics have, have, have based everything on that. Oh, excuse me, but the Holy Spirit is God, is he not? And we are to live in agreement with God's Spirit. There's no reason that we should be ashamed or afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul states, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. I was listening to a sermon this afternoon. And the preacher in that sermon reminds us that the law produces only death. The law does not produce life. 
The law, the law produces guilt, condemnation, and death. And if we live by the law, that's our fate. But if we be in Christ, and if we walk in the liberty of the Spirit, we will not be subject to the law. But that doesn't mean we have a license to sin. For if we are in the Spirit, and if we walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, will guide us into all truth. Our lives will be pleasing to God. Our lives will be effectual to God, because the Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us. But it all begins with agreement with the Spirit of God. Do not resist the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to control your life. Just remember this. It is always easy to tell which direction the Holy Spirit is leading us because He will never lead us into error. He will only lead us into truth. So if the end of the road that you're looking at ends in error and ends in failure, then that's not the guiding of the Holy Spirit, for he will lead you into only truth. John chapter 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You know, let me, let me give you some perspective from my experience. The devil's pathways are always beautifully landscaped and have nice, beautiful scenery at the start. But as you get down the road, the thorns and the thistles begin to appear and the vultures and the wolves show up. And after you've gone way down that road, you realize, I'm not in the right place. Now, God's paths are not always beautiful. They're strewn with potholes. And at the beginning of the pathway of the Lord, sometimes it doesn't look too pleasant. But, oh, let me tell you, when you get down that road, as you draw nearer to your destination, you begin to see that beautiful city. You begin to see those pearly gates. You begin to see those streets made of pure gold. You see, God doesn't hide the problems from us. He doesn't hide the trouble. But he promises to walk with us. And he promises to guide us through all of the pitfalls. So, if we are to uh, please the Lord, we must learn to live our life in acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. We must learn to live our life in agreement with God's Spirit. And then thirdly, we must live our lives in acceptance of God's sanction. In acceptance of God's sanction. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Knowing that God is faithful to keep his promises to us should give us the confidence and the courage to yield our lives to him, a living sacrifice for his use. You see, a sanction gives one authority. Sanctions give, give someone control. 
And we should live our lives in acceptance of God's sanctions over us. Paul tells us in Romans to to be a living sacrifice. To lay aside those things that we desire. To lay aside those things that we think we need and believe we want. And be willing to live our lives in and for God's glory. Great is thy faithfulness unto me, O Lord. God is faithful in his compassions. God is faithful in his covenants. And then, lastly tonight, number three, God is faithful in his corrections. He's faithful in his corrections. The third verse of our hymn tonight, Great is thy faithfulness, reads, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Let's look at Psalm 89 again and look at verse number 5. We read, And the heavens shall praise thy wonders. O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Listen, let me tell you something. God loves us. He has compassion upon us, but he is God. And you and I must learn to reverence God. We should never refer to him as the old man upstairs. That is so disrespectful. That is, that is such a slap in the face of God. God God is beyond our abilities to understand. He is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And we must learn to reverence our God. I hear people telling jokes about God, making, making fun of his name. Oh, I tell you, God is greatly to be feared. Let me tell you, the day when God tolerates man's foolishness, will come to an end. And as we've been studying in the book of Revelation, and pardon my grammar, it ain't going to be pretty. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee? I said God is faithful and his corrections. Now, when I talk about corrections, the first thing that usually comes to mind is corporal correction, right? What is the first thing you think about when we talk about correction? You think about getting spanked, don't you? And when I was a kid, that was what correction was. Son, you're about to get corrected. Oh, boy, look out. That's not fun. When we speak about God's corrections, don't we think about punishments? Now, don't get me wrong here. Uh, the law of sowing and reaping will make sure that we face consequences, good or bad, for our actions. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, we read, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. But I am afraid that far too many people have a skewed concept of God when it comes to this matter of correction. 
Listen, if you got a flat tire on the way to work, that doesn't mean that you've been messing up with God. It doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that God's punishing you. But I know people that think that way. I know people that something happens and they say, oh boy, I must not be, I must not be living right. Something must be wrong. <clears throat> Conversely, if you find an extra $50 in your jacket, that doesn't mean that you've been doing things good. It just means you put 50 bucks in your pocket and you forgot about it. Somewhere along the way, we've developed this idea that God is sitting in heaven and he's doling out blessings and cursings to his children. Listen to me. God does not withhold blessings from us, nor increase our blessings according to our behavior. Because if that were true, none of us would ever receive a blessing. God blesses his children for his own glory. He blesses his children because he loves his children. You love your children, right? You parents. And you try your best to treat all your children equitably. You don't withhold food from one uh, while, while feeding the others. We wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Jesus said, if ye being evil know how to give uh, good things to your children, how much more your father which is in heaven shall give unto them that love him. So we, we need to understand that, that concept here. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, we read, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, Paul says. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Now this takes us back to what I was talking about this morning in Sunday school, being standard bearers. And we spoke about this also last Wednesday evening. We have this idea that we have to do things in order to get the approval of God. But we must realize tonight that there is nothing that we can do that is greater than what Jesus has already done. And God promises us blessings because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Not because of how I behave. The law of sowing and reaping is going to take care of that. If I behave, if I, if I sow to the flesh then I will reap corruption of the flesh. If I sow to the Spirit, then I will reap life everlasting of the Spirit. When we labor for the glory of God, just simply to exalt and magnify the name of Jesus, this is acceptable unto the Lord. When I work hard on the job and give it everything I have, this projects the image of Christ, and this is pleasing unto God. Young people, when you study hard in school and get the best grade that you can possibly get for the glory of God, this projects the image of Christ and is pleasing unto God. When I live by faith and trust the Lord, this glorifies God and is pleasing unto Him. When I walk in obedience to God and His principles, as outlined in his word, not for the acceptance of man, but out of a pure heart of obedience unto God and for his glory, this glorifies God and is pleasing unto him. Now God will chasten us. 
But God's chastening is not because he's punishing us. His chastening is because he loves us. And because he desires to correct us. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 we read, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And God's chastisement is never intended to punish or to harm. God does not seek to punish you and I. He seeks to teach us, to admonish us, to edify us. Why does a father spank his children? Is it because he wants to hurt them? Is it because he wants to to inflict pain upon them and suffering? Well, if he does, there's a name for that. What is it? What is the name for it? Child abuse. But when a father pulls his child aside and says, this is not the way things should be done. This is wrong. This displeases God. This dishonors God and chastises his child in a spirit of love and correction. Then that is, is, is teaching your child. It's training them. And this is what God does to us. He does not seek to punish us or to harm us, although we may think he does. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nobody, no one says, oh boy, I get corrected today. Come on, dad, let's go in the switch, let's go in the, in the, in the woodshed and let's get this, let's get it on. Come on, dad. Nobody enjoys getting punished, right? I never did. And trust me, I, I know about punishment. I was, uh, I was all boy and then some. I could tell you stories, but we don't have time. But I certainly understood correction. And I never wanted to go to the barn. Because it was no fun. The barn was never fun for me. It either meant work or whipping. One of the two. But God never seeks to punish us, to harm us. Now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It is intended as correction, as admonition, as edification. In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon states, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. You know, the world would have you believe that if you love your children, you won't discipline them. But that's not true. That's not true at all, because if that's true, then God's word is a lie. Because the Bible tells us that whom God loves, he corrects. He disciplines his children, those he loves. All of my sin past, present, and future, was paid by Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary's cross. God is not trying to punish me. He is trying to instruct me. So let's get rid of that view. Let's get rid of that opinion of God that God is always looking for an opportunity to spank us. It's not what God is doing. God is molding us. He is shaping us. And what is he building us? What What is he shaping us into? We've talked about this. What is God trying to transform us into? Anyone know? The image of his son. 
So God, when we do wrong, God comes and says, my child, this is not acceptable. This is not the way I want you to be. There are consequences for our actions, yes. Sometimes those consequences are are very grievous. But God does not seek to harm us. Let us understand that. He loves us and he wants to embrace us and teach us how to be more like his son, Jesus. When you face the consequences for your poor choices and behaviors, don't look at it as punishment from God. See it as correction from your loving father and learn from it and grow in God's grace and understanding. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, not some, not most, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let us pray. Our Father, we praise your name. Lord, as I stand here tonight, I'm astounded. I'm astounded that you could love someone like me, that you could, that you could be faithful to someone such as myself who fails you time after time after time. But yet we stand here tonight and you are faithful. You are faithful in your compassions. You are faithful to love us. You're faithful to forgive us. You're faithful to cleanse us and to preserve us. You're faithful tonight. You're faithful to your covenants. You keep those things that you've promised us, regardless of whether we deserve them or not, regardless of whether we merit them or not. And then tonight, we're thankful because you correct us. You love us enough not to allow us to do things that dishonor our great God and Savior, but you correct us. And all that you do, all that you do is so that we will be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, which is your will for each of us. You have ordained, you predestinated that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we realize tonight that all that you do, all your interaction in our life is designed to bring us to that point. So we praise you and thank you for your chastisements, for your corrections, for your edifications. And now, Father, as we end this service tonight, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have spoken to our hearts and would have challenged us tonight that we would be faithful to you in all things, that we would put nothing before you in our lives, that we would honor and glorify you with everything that we are and everything that we have. And for this, we praise your name and we thank you tonight. And we ask that you would bless us now as we sing before we leave. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all